Matthew 11:25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're new with us this morning, I just want to fill you in on where we've been as a church over the last several weeks. We've been walking through a series that we've been calling Wild with Grace. And the the purpose of this series is to celebrate the Lenten season well, To, to celebrate in such a way where we're reminded of how just how gracious Jesus is and just how good the good news of the gospel is. As we dig into the uh, the most encouraging thing that I could tell you today, I wanna wanna paint a picture for you. Uh, And that picture is to describe what you've been experiencing these last few weeks. And before I do that, I want you to know the interesting thing about this is that I've been planning to preach this passage for about four months. And I find it so uh, comforting to know that God knew that we would need this text as a church. But, but here's the image of what I want to paint for you. And it comes from a book that I was reading called The Leader's Journey by a guy named Jim Harrington. And here's, here's the image he paints for us. He says this, when anxiety increases, it's as if we begin to vibrate. Our connections with others means anxiety quickly transfers to them. And soon others are vibrating too. When life begins to shake, the only thing that can calm it for us is to take hold of something unshakable. So let that image set with you this morning. A person quaking with anxiety, a person that has a bad case of the shakes. And, and you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's when you go into panic mode and your heart is racing and you can't sleep and you wake up begging and searching for answers to questions that have no answers. You're looking for anything or anyone who can help absorb the shock of your soul only to find you just pass that quick along to someone else if you're not careful. This week, can you identify, as you think about your week, can you identify those quaking moments in your soul? Maybe someone passed a text on to you or a link to something or a phone call that you received or a news channel that you were watching or reading. Can you identify how that began to quake your soul? Can you identify maybe where you passed that on to someone else in your own anxiety? And for you, if you're anything like me, a number of things can start the quake of anxiety in your soul. I mean, it could be considering your own health, considering your financial security, considering your children and their well-being, considering our relational conflicts, considering foreseeable changes. But every quake has one thing in common that we feel in our souls, and it's this. We can't control them. We can't stop them. The tension is this, is that we frantically look for the cure for our restless souls. We, we jump from activity to activity, news article to news article, store to store, phone call to phone call, and none of these things can stop our souls from the quake that we're experiencing. 
And why? Our souls will not stop quaking until we grab hold of something solid, church. And that person is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Here's our big idea of where we're going today from Matthew 11. That the solution to our restless souls is not a plan, but a person. Let me say it again. The solution to our restless souls is not a plan, but it's a person. So let's dig into this together. We've got a little bit of groundwork to do to, to grab hold of the context of what Matthew 11 is teaching us. Here's, here's the first of the three points I want to make about this text, and it's this. Only the weakest disciples are fit to follow Jesus. Now, here's what you've got to understand about following God. It's this word discipleship. It, it might be new to you. It might be old to you. But I want to refresh our memories uh, for the sake of clarity this morning. A disciple is a lifelong learner and follower of someone else. So every Jewish rabbi in the context of Matthew 11, uh, and, a, and a rabbi was a, a teacher, a priest, think modern day kind of pastor, um, would have disciples. And those disciples would take up the yoke of a rabbi. And, and I'll explain a little bit more about the kind of the agricultural side of what a yoke is and how that um, impacts how we see it spiritually. But, but part of the yoke of the rabbi was this, is that each, each yoke of the rabbi would be the sum total of his teachings and his lifestyle. And as a disciple of a rabbi, you're invited to take up his life and teachings or, or somewhere. And then impart those to others to kind of continue the disciple-making process of that rabbi who was following God. Now, let, let me just say this as a side. We are all being discipled by someone or something. It's how we learn anything in life. On the flip side of that, most all of us are discipling others even if we don't know it. And so before you, you go too far to say, oh, you know, that, that doesn't apply to me. Everyone is being discipled by someone or something, and everyone is discipling someone. So the rabbis would select their disciples and issue a call to be their disciples. That's why in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus calls his first disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, uh, when he call, or actually it's uh, Peter and John, I think, uh, when he calls his first disciples, he says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Now, this isn't a completely unique situation to Jesus. This is something that a rabbi would have done. He would have called people to follow him. And, and so the interesting thing is not in the fact that Jesus as a rabbi would call people to follow him. The interesting thing is, is the people that he chose to follow him. I, I don't know if, um, if you've ever watched the show The Voice or not, but I was uh, recently acquainted with it because one of my good friends, little brother, is on the show. But let me just share with you how it works because I think it helps us think about this whole discipleship selection process and, and kind of the mess that it could become for someone. Uh, on The Voice, the way that this show works is you come up for a blind audition. The, the, four, the four people that are kind of judging and selecting their team or their disciples are turned and they're faced the other direction. You come up, you give it your best shot. And you're hoping that somebody hits this big button and they turn around and you have an opportunity to be maybe on their team. And if you're really good, you hope that maybe all four of them would turn around. Well, these guys, the, the first disciples of Jesus and all 12 disciples, were the guys that didn't get any turnarounds. 
They're the guys that no one hit the button for because they just frankly didn't stack up to the worldly standards that other disciples would have stacked up to. So, I, you know, that's the way I would imagine these guys to feel. So, I mean, how do you feel if you, you give it your all and you're, you're not chosen? Well, you, you, you go back to the family business. So when Jesus meets his first disciples, they're in places like tax collector booths and on the, on the lake, on the Sea of Galilee, fishing because they took back up the family business because they weren't chosen to follow a rabbi, which would have been kind of every, every little boy's, every Jewish little boy's dream. And so these are the men that Jesus calls, the Lord of the universe, the disciple. He chooses these men. So knowing that, let's pick up in Matthew chapter 11 and look at the first three verses, 25 through 27 here. At that time, Jesus declared this, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, and these are the things of the kingdom, from the wise and the understanding. And, and who have you chosen to reveal them to? You've revealed them to little children. So those that have a, a simple mind and a simple understanding of things. Verse 26 goes on to say this, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. And then he says, come to me. He's looking at his disciples, come to me. So what's been happening in this passage is that Jesus has been arguing with the Pharisees. Now, these are the guys that have disciples. These are the guys that people are lining up to follow. And, uh, and, and these, these disciples that the Pharisees have, uh, you know, they came from the right family. They've got the right last names. They've got all the correct credentials. You know, first round draft pick kind of guys for those of you that are fearful that, that football season isn't going to happen this year. These, these are the kind of guys that Jesus called to follow him. But, well, th that the Pharisees did. But, but these but following these rabbis was different than following Jesus. So you got to see the contrast here to, to understand it. Following these rabbis, these pharisaical rabbis, was painful. They never say, good job, well done, Peter. I, you know, I'm so proud of you, John. If you're following one of these guys, there's never any encouragement or, or grace or hope. All you're ever thinking is how you're not good enough, how you could have done that better. How you don't have enough scripture memorized? Are, are you beginning to get the picture of what Jesus was trying to free his disciples from? You know, some of you grew up seeing and believing this is what it means to follow Jesus. Better, faster, wiser, more put together than anyone else. And so you've spent your life nuancing your life in such a way to protect yourself and protect your weaknesses, thinking that this is what it looks like to follow God and, and experience the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus comes and he says something so radically different to his disciples. He says, I haven't come and asked the guys who have all the answers and no questions to follow me. I haven't come to take all of the best from the world's standards and ask them to follow me. I've come to ask the simple and faithful to follow me. So if you're beat up by the world and know that you could never do enough to please God, to please your Father in heaven, Jesus is saying this, 
I've come for, for you. You're the one I've come for. So here's my question for you. Do you ever feel like you could never do enough to please God? Do you, do you, do you look around and only see people who frankly got it together more than you? Do you feel beat up from living in this world? Do you feel overlooked? Do you feel aimless, maybe even hopeless this morning? The good news is, is that you are a prime candidate to become a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus has come to extend the kingdom of God to those people so that they can extend that kingdom to other people. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and, and a, a selection of verses through 29 to kind of give you a picture of what that kingdom is like. I'll read it for you. It says this, For the word of the cross, and, and the word of the cross is this, it's, it's weakness and death. The word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved... It's the power of God. Verse 20, where is the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Where's the Pharisee? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And then he invites us to a season of introspection ourselves. He goes on to say this, for consider your own calling, brothers. And they would have been thinking of their own story right here. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not, not many were, were powerful. You didn't have the right last name. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. And here's the whole reason he does this, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So here, here Paul is reminding this church in the city of Corinth and it's divided and discouraged if you know anything about the book of First and Second Corinthians. If you know anything about those letters, it's a, it's a church that's messed up. And, um, and, and they're divided and discouraged about the condition of their fellowship, their church body. Um, and, and he calls them to remember who it is that they follow and what his message is and how he chose them. You know, the, the symbol of the rabbi that we follow as Christians is the cross. Now, remember, he's the only rabbi that has championed weakness and suffering in place of power and strength and wisdom. He's, he's championed weakness and suffering as the trademark of what it's actually required to follow him. So what are the conditions of a disciple of Jesus? He says, you've got to come to me. All who labor, that word means weary as well, and are heavy laden, you're weighed down. If you're not those things, you're not going to come to a rabbi that represents people who experience those things. So it's, it's the requirement. It's the requirement to most fully be where you are right now. Jesus is saying that you can fully be you and follow him. That's the best news that any of us 
could hear today. Mark chapter 2 says it like this, those who are well have no need of a physician or a doctor. And Jesus says, but it's rather those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous or the well in spirit, but I came to call sinners. Are you well or are you sick this morning in your soul, New City? Are you sin sick and fed up with the world? Are you weary of trying to manage your own life and your circumstances? Are you heavy laden, weighed down, miserable, frantic? If that is you, Jesus says, come to me just as you are. I have beautiful news for you. You're who Jesus came to call. And the good news about becoming a follower of Jesus is that it's a lifelong pursuit of learning the way of Jesus. Uh, you know, I told you guys last, last week about the story of my father and just what God is doing in his life. And, and it's continued this week, obviously. And, and he's been a little frustrated, like, like sometimes newer Christians are, about how long it takes to get a passage of Scripture, to, to get the meaning of it. How many times he has to read it and, and struggle through it. And, and, and finally, last night I was talking to him, and, and he was pointing out things about the life of Noah and who, sh- who opened the ark, who shut the ark uh, door and all that kind of stuff. He was pointing out these things to me. I said, Dad, this is the way that Christians are actually supposed to read the Bible. Like you've got it more together than you even know. Becoming a disciple of Jesus means that Jesus has invited you to, enjoy, to join him on an apprenticeship journey. One you've never expected to become the master, but always invited to remain a, an apprentice and let Jesus do the heavy lifting. So think about that. Jesus has said, I'm going to be with you forever, and I'm going to do the heavy lifting. You've just got to come to me and let me do the heavy lifting. So church, my question to you before we get into the yoke and the picture of this is will you come to Jesus and let him do the heavy lifting this week? We just come to him. Just come to him as you are. Number two, disciples live from the rest that Christ has secured for his followers. So a person that is a Christian is a disciple. They're, they're, they're synonymous with each other. There is no differentiation between the two. You can't be a Christian if you're not a follower or disciple of Jesus. Now, a uh, I, I want to tell you what we're called to do uh, in taking up the yoke and learning, but I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't start there. Jesus starts with the reward that he desires to give those that will follow him. I think it's so pertinent that Jesus talks about the reward before he talks about the, the requirements to follow him. Uh, you know, it's, it's so interesting to me because it reminds me of this story about uh, my son, Caden, and I about six years ago. Caden was about two and a half years old, and uh, we had just moved into uh, our foreclosed fixer-upper house, and it was kind of a mess, and the basement uh, wasn't even close to finish. It needs some walls to be built, and so uh, I set out to build it. Uh, many of you that know me know that I like to build things. I, it's just it's something that I enjoy. And so Caden uh, looked at Megan, he knew that I was in the basement, and uh, he found a hammer in the garage, and, uh, and said, Mom, I'm going downstairs to work with Dad. I got my hammer, I'm ready uh, to go. Uh, well, the, well, the little guy stayed downstairs with me for about two and a half hours. It was, it was, it was amazing. 
And, and what he'd do is he'd beat his hammer around on the wood studs and, and, uh, and kind of make a mess downstairs. And he'd also talk my ear off, which was quite funny. Um, but to my amazement, after about two and a half hours of him being downstairs, beating, beating wood studs that I'd hammered in, uh, he loudly exclaimed this to Megan. He said, Mom, you've got to come downstairs and see what I built. Now, the interesting thing about that is that Megan comes downstairs and, and she sees the wall that was, if I must say, masterfully crafted. I mean, squared up, frame, I mean, it was great. The doors were, it was great. And she, and she looks at it and she says, uh, good job, buddy. And she's looking at me, I'm the one with the sweat and the blood because I'm not that great with a hammer. And, um, and, and she, she looks at Caden and she says, good job, buddy. And the reason that I love this story is that uh, it's a parable to me of what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. You know, Caden didn't do anything to build that wall other than keep me company and slow me down a little bit. That, that's the reality if we're looking kind of at the, the quid pro quo of the equation of, of his effort and the work accomplished. But, but he, he felt like it was his work. He felt like he had built that because he was with his father. As, the, as his father did the work, he was with him. Church, that's what it's like to follow Jesus. The only thing that you need to bring is your inability, your brokenness, and your desire for rest, Jesus says. And his promise to us is to give us rest if we will just come to him. You see, we think that we're doing all the work, keeping our lives together, keeping safe, keeping sanitized. We think we're doing all these things, and those responsibilities are important. But we're just living under the yoke, under the lordship of Jesus. We're just in an apprenticeship with Jesus in this life. And he's the one that's doing all the heavy lifting. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. And I will, not might, I will give you rest. So that brings me to my next question. What is rest? What is rest? To understand rest... I think we first got to understand why we don't have rest. We, we were created in the garden. Adam and Eve were created to work from rest. What we find ourselves doing now is we, we find ourselves working for rest. Work, 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 work so that I can rest. Well, the pattern that God set up in creation is that we would work from rest. And then one in seven days, we would, we would Sabbath. God set that rhythm into eternity for us. One of the curses and consequences of sin in the world when it entered in was that our work would no longer be completely joy-filled in an apprenticeship of our God, but it would be toil. Heavy, laden, burdensome toil. You know, God knew this and sent grace to his people even in Genesis chapter 5, God is, uh, Moses is writing about what God has done, and he's talking about the descendants of Adam. And he goes down this long list. It's one of those chapters, you know, you skip over because you can't pronounce the names. And it's, but they're important names, right? They're people. They're people in the story of, of history that God's written into the storyline of our lives and our, our pursuit of Jesus. Well, he gets to this one guy named Noah, and he sees that it's fit to pause on Noah, none of the other characters that he describes, but Noah. And he wants us 
to tell us a little bit about Noah. If you've got a Bible, flip over to Genesis chapter 5, verse 29. It says this, and, and calling his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, okay, so that's that picture back to Genesis chapter 3, the curse on the ground, this one, meaning Noah, shall bring us relief or rest from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Do you know in the Hebrew what Noah's name literally means? Rest. His name means rest. God sent him to remind us of our need of rest. But when you think about Noah, there's this other thing that comes to mind as soon as you think about Noah. What is it? It's the ark, right? You think about the ark, you think about all the animals, you think about how big that boat was and how people must have thought he was crazy building that thing for a couple years when it had never likely rained before, right? I mean, they think he's crazy. Where's this thing going to go? It's on dry ground. Um, God's gift of rest is a creation pattern. It's, it's reiterated when God makes Noah and gives him a mission to restore rest to the people of God. Now, not only is, is rest a means of absence of work, but it's also a presence of security, a presence of victory, and a presence of salvation. In the Hebrew, it's, it's a comprehensive word for those things. That's what Noah was to help usher in to the people of God who were always and only sinning, as Genesis chapter 6 tells us. Noah was, Noah was uh, God's messenger to restore rest in the world. So when Jesus comes in Matthew 11 here and he says, come to me and I'll give you rest, what he's saying is this, I'm the better Noah. I'm the one that Noah was pointing to. I don't want to just give you rest in the moment, but give you rest for eternity. I'm the one that will secure your souls from the burdensome and weary task of trying to do life alone in this world. If you come to me and you enter the ark of my love, the ark of my care, the ark of my comfort, the ark of my salvation and security and redemption, you have rest. But will we enter in through faith? And trust Him. Will we come to Him to experience that rest? Rest is so important to God's people that the Lord patterned the world after a day of rest. When you think about that, I mean, I mean, when is the last time that you stopped your work to delight and feast on the fact that you are secure, you're eternally secure, you're redeemed in Jesus Christ? Because when you're work, 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 working for your own plan and own purposes, you can't stop and reflect and delight and feast in what God has already secured for you. You can't do both of them. One of the things that the Lord is doing in this pandemic is forcing a Sabbath rest on most of the world, church. I don't know if you've realized that or not. And you know what's happening is that it's shaking out all of these skeletons that we've got in our closet that, that we were too busy to ever acknowledge before. Maybe you're experiencing that a little bit yourself in the last few weeks. Most of the world is terrified about what they find when they sit in a room alone by themselves. But God desires to give us the gift of rest. 
So what would it look like for us, church, to enter into the season and see that God, even though we can't comprehend and understand it all, is giving us the gift of rest? We've got to stop long enough to understand, like last week we talked about, that he's our good shepherd, that he's sovereign, that he's in control, that he desires to care for us, to sit back and delight and feast on the goodness of who God is. How are you responding to a forced Sabbath rest in our world? Is Jesus producing rest as you come to him? Because that's clearly his desire for us. Now lastly, I want to wrap up this passage by getting back to that idea of a yoke. So the third point uh, that I want to talk about from Matthew 11 is this. Disciples find rest by learning to live under the yoke of Christ. You say, okay, Ryan, Jesus promised rest. It's only the weak that can follow him. But what does a disciple of Jesus actually do? Like, what is our effort? What is our part in staying tethered to Jesus? What do we do? Well, after you know that there's nothing you can do except bring your weakness and trust in his finished work and rest, there's an effort that we put forth to keep our hearts kindled and close to Jesus. And it's this, it's, it's, it's coming under the yoke of Jesus and continuing to learn from him in life. It's really a picture of what the Bible calls sanctification, that a lot of times we think about sanctification or becoming more like Jesus and, and maturing in him as this effort that Jesus got us going, but now we got to kind of keep that thing going. Well, the work is to remain close to Jesus, to stay under the yoke because everything in your flesh and everything in your pride wants to come out from under the yoke of Jesus and handle the weight of the world and your problems on your own. It's just part of human nature. Part of human nature is not to trust that Jesus is on the other side of the yoke. That's part of the nature. And so the fight for us is a fight really of prayer and obedience to stay tethered to Jesus. Matthew 29 and 30, let me read it for you one more time. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There's the work, learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke, it's easy and my burden is light. Well, the whole understanding of his teaching in life would have been the rabbi's yoke, Jesus' yoke. So to fully understand this, um, what he was intending for his disciples, us, to understand, we've got to go out to the farm and understand from an agricultural point of view what an ox yoke is. I did my best to secure one for you today, and so I went to the, the person who has access to the oldest things in the world that I know, Eli Stansel, and uh, he was pretty certain that he had one but, but came up short, but he got me the next best thing which is a horse collar. So this is great. It came out of his grandpa's farm. You get the picture of what this was for. It's not a jump rope uh, or anything like that, but it goes over a horse. So what a yoke is, is it would have been this, this kind of huge piece of substantial wood, some kind of hardwood. And, and on the bottom of that yoke would be something like a horse collar, but, but bigger, and it would attach to the actual ox. Now, ox is, you know, one of the, 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 you know, the strongest animals known to man, uh, a workhorse of an animal. That's why you hear the phrase strong as an ox. 
in referring to Pastor Brandon. And so, um, and so, you know what 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 the ox what the ox yoke was for was to take two kind of beast of burden, the strongest animals ever imaginable, that kind of have their own personalities and their own ways, and to attach them together and to put someone controlling them so that they could move forcefully in the same direction, right? And so, so they would have been pulling a huge wagon or sled or something that weighed thousands and thousands of pounds, and they would have pulled it together. Now, you know, in that way, if you've got one that's stronger, you know, uh, pulling, pulling on the right side, and you've got one that's weaker pulling on the left side, that their, their energy is channeled and it moves together. Jesus is inviting us, the, the, the strongest, the sovereign Lord of the universe is, is inviting us to the other side of the yoke with him. And he's saying, come and learn from me. Come and let me do all the heavy lifting in your life. Come and stay close to me. Come and stay tethered to me. And let me pull the plow of whatever it is that we've got to go through as humanity. Everyone in this world, everything in this world is saying, come to me. Come to me and worry. Come to me and be anxious. Come to me and have the latest news. Come to me and get the last supplies. Come to me and protect yourself. And they all promise to give you something you need. But the only one who promises to give you what you really need, which is rest, is Jesus. So my question to you as we close out today is this. Is that who are you listening to? Who are you going to come to in your distress, in your panic, in your fear? Who are you going to come to? Who are you going to listen to? I want to bring you back to the image of the quaking soul. Think about it. Your soul has the shakes because you're facing something that's uncontrollable. And, and, and for some reason, the uncontrollable nature is a problem to us. But do you know who the uncontrollable nature of life's situations is not a problem for? Jesus. It's not a problem for him. All of those problems just happen to be within the wagon that Jesus is pulling that we happen to be tethered to by faith. And we can experience him more deeply as we look over and see him carrying the load for us. Think about the picture of the cross, the, 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 the picture that all the, the wise and, and uh, strongest in the world thought was foolish. Well, Jesus, and um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 that, that the cross is foolishness for the world, but it's the power of God to those who believe. So as you think about Jesus pulling the weight of our sin in this world, pulling the cross, tethered to him, he's carried all of the weight for us, church. What we long for is rest, and how we get it is by learning to stay yoked to him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that there is an invitation for the quake to stop in our souls. Father, we thank You that You invite us to rest, Lord. To rest from our labors. To rest from our pain. To settle down and be secure in our eternity. Settle down and be secure and delight in our redemption. That's the rest that you long to give.
your church. So Father, we, we pray that you would give that to us in abundance as we learn to unshackle ourselves from the yoke of this world and hitch ourselves up to Jesus who says His yoke is easy and His burden is light, meaning that it's manageable. That somehow as disciples, we're learning from Jesus how to handle the trials of life. Lord, would you teach us more deeply this week? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.